Chapter 12 I scrubbed my hands with hot, soapy water. Then I used my elbow to open the operating room door. He's at the crisis point, Noah Wilde told me as I approached the patient. He slapped a shiny scalpel into my hand. You're going to be just fine, I told the patient. I trust you, Cassie, the patient answered. It was my dad lying on the table under the green sheet. Shouldn't he be anesthetized? I stammered. Noah Wilde looked shocked. Not for a yomfa operation. I took a deep breath, the disinfectant burning the inside of my nose. I placed the blade on my dad's forehead. I looked up and saw Jake, Marco, Rachel, and Tobias behind the glass of the observation room. They tapped on the glass and waved at me. I turned my attention back to my dad, but it wasn't dad on the table anymore. It was Axe. I didn't know where to make the incision. Was the chia gland in the front of the head? The back? Why were they tapping again? Didn't they know this was a delicate operation? I needed to concentrate. The sound finally jerked me awake. Gassy, you're going to be late for school, my mom called. She gave another tap-tap on my door. I'm up, I cried. I stood and opened the middle drawer of my dresser. I pulled on the first pair of pants and top my fingers touched. Then I pulled on my socks and shoes, yelled goodbye to my parents, and grabbed a Pop-Tart on my way out. I couldn't stop yawning. I felt as if I'd only gotten about 15 minutes of sleep. Marco and I had taken turns watching Jake last night. Marco was there now. He would be until Tom left for school. We thought, in his fever, Jake might start talking about something that would prove fatal if Tom overheard. So I'd spent half the night as a fly on Jake's ball, buzzing outside to the bushes to do quick demorphs and remorphs. Jake didn't say anything at all suspicious. Sick as he was, I think there was some part of him that knew how dangerous the wrong words could be. I rushed straight to the barn and over to Axe's stall. I stuck my head inside. Axe blinked up at me with his lovely almond-shaped eyes. Sorry, he mumbled. I think he feels bad that he's sick when you need him, Eric explained. He handed me a chart with a notation of Axe's temperature every hour. It had dropped during the night, but less than a degree. It was at 94.4. We had to operate when it got to 91.3. There was still some time. I handed the chart back to Eric and ran my hand down the soft fur of Axe's neck. Even warriors get sick sometimes, I told him. It's not your fault. I've told him that about a million times, Tobias said from his usual spot in the rafters. I'll be late if I don't leave right now, I told them. Tobias, you know where I am if you need me. I turned and bolted outside. I got to school about four minutes before the first bell. I headed straight to Rachel's locker. I waited for her to show until it was about one minute to the bell. Then I decided to check my locker. Maybe Rachel had been waiting over there for me. I trotted over. 
No, Rachel. I hurried back to her locker. No, Rachel. The first bell rang. I stood by Rachel's locker as the hallway started to thin out. When I was the last one there, I decided I had to head to class. I slipped into my desk about one second before the second bell. I pulled out a notebook and a pencil and tried to focus on what the teacher was saying. But my mind was too full to take in any new information. I kept wondering how low Axe's temperature was now, and how Jake was doing, and where Rachel was. At least I could answer that last question for myself. I raised my hand and asked permission to go to the bathroom. My teacher wasn't too happy that I hadn't gone before class started, but she handed over the pass anyway. I rushed out the door, past the bathroom, and down to Rachel's first class. I peered in the little square window. Rachel was not inside. I turned and headed to the payphone outside the gym. When I got to the phone, I punched in Rachel's number. Rachel's mom answered on the second ring. It's Cassie. Is Rachel there? I blurted. Rachel just fell asleep, Rachel's mom told me. She was throwing up half the night. Chapter 13 When it was finally time for lunch, I rushed straight to the cafeteria. I scanned the tables for Marco. I felt a tap on my shoulder and figured Marco had found me. I turned around and saw Mr. Tidwell standing there. We need to talk about the Spanish club party, he said. He was trying to sound calm, but I could hear the tension in his voice. That was okay. He was probably hearing tension in mine. He led the way into an empty classroom and shut the door behind us. Visitor 3 will be returning earlier than expected. F-Trans interrogation may begin as early as 8 tonight. You have to act quickly. As he spoke, I couldn't stop myself from staring at his mouth. A yerk was moving his lips, controlling his tongue. Was the yerk tightening the muscles in Mr. Tidwell's throat to create the sound of tension I'd picked up on? Was it all part of some plan to make me trust him, to make sure I convinced my friends to walk right into an ambush? Why did you come to me? I asked suddenly. You say you know all about us, so you must know Jake is our leader. Why not go to him? Mr. Tidwell sat down on the teacher's desk. Uftran trusts you. Only you. She said you had proven yourself to her, Mr. Tidwell explained. Ilum, I mean. It was so hard to think of him as anything but Mr. Tidwell. I wished Ilum hadn't singled me out of the group. We should all be here. At least all of us who could be. The only thing I could do was try and make sure I asked everything the others would ask if they were here. It wasn't hard to figure out what Marco would want to know. I have another question. What about Mr. Tidwell? The real, human Tidwell? When I first entered Mr. Tidwell, I was not part of the peace movement, Ilum admitted. He was an involuntary host. No, that is too nice a way to say it. He was my host, my slave. His eyes looked a little more watery than usual. Could the yurk control functions that were involuntary for humans? Could the yurk just push a neuron or something and stimulate a host's tear ducts? It was partly experiencing Mr. Tudwell's distress that led me to join the movement, Ilum continued. His howls of fury and agony forced me to accept what I had done to him. 
At the same time, I began to hear about a group of yurks who thought it was wrong to take an unwilling host. I nodded. It made sense to me. Hearing the endless cries of another sentient creature, knowing you had caused its pain. How could that fail to have an effect? Then, I remembered something Aftran had told me. To most yurks, humans are like pigs. Just meat. Oink oink. It didn't happen all at once, Ilum continued. But gradually I realized that I did not want to inhibit Mr. Tittle's body if it meant sacrificing his freedom for mine. And now... Now Mr. Tidwell has something to say. I am repeating his thoughts as I hear them, Ilum said. Can't you let him talk for himself? I asked. I am speaking for myself, Tidwell said. How can I know that? You can't. I hesitated. Okay, what do you want to say? Cassie, I invited Ilm to stay in my body, Mr. Tidwell explained. I thought together we could do more for peace than he could do alone. He is within me now with my permission. There was no change in his voice or manner, but there wouldn't be. Tidwell swallowed hard. My wife died a few years ago. For a long time, I didn't care about anything. I stumbled through my life, getting myself to school, getting home again. He leaned forward, his eyes locked on my face. When Ilum gave me my freedom back, I realized I wanted to do something with it. So I decided to join the fight. What could be more important? He said. And Ilum and I, we've become friends. He's actually very good company. I didn't know if Marco and the others would believe what I had just heard was actually Mr. Tidwell and not some yerk trick. I wasn't sure I did. But I wanted to believe it. Look, I want to help you, I told Mr. Tidwell slash Ilum. But three members of the group are sick. Really sick. As in one requiring brain surgery. Isn't there some way the Yurk Peace Movement can rescue Aftran without our help? Ilum speaking now, he told me. The Peace Movement is growing. We now have nearly a hundred members. But not all the Yurks in the movement have hosts. And not all the hosts the others have are suitable for battle. Ilum gave Mr. Tidwell's paunch a pat. Can you imagine trying to fight Hork Bajir in this? He asked. I'm sorry to hear that members of your group are ill, but when the Visser finishes with Aftran, he will know everything, and then every Yurk in the peace movement will be dead. Their hosts as well. Everyone who has ever helped you will be rounded up and made controllers, Ilum continued. Everyone you care about will be made controllers. It will all end, Cassie. The defeat will be total and permanent. I sat down and just buried my face in my hands for a minute. I felt like my head was going to explode. This was hopeless. An impossible rescue with half our strength gone? But there was no alternative. Okay, I said at last. If we can do it, we'll do it. I pushed myself to my feet and started to the door on shaky legs. Then, then an idea. I paused and turned back. Ilum, if you had to survive for a few hours outside Mr. Tidwell, could you?
without being in the yerk pool, I mean, I asked. As long as I stay in some kind of liquid environment, he answered. He sounded a little puzzled. But I wasn't puzzled. Not anymore. I had a plan. A totally terrifying plan. But a plan. Chapter 14 Hey, Marco, wait up! I chased down the street until I caught up to him. I'd been hoping I'd find him on his way home from school. I talked to Tidwell. Visser 3 is coming back early. Do you remember Five Little Monkeys? Marco asked me, grinning a loopy grin. Did you hear me? I demanded. We've got to get after and out today. But I think I have a plan. It was a song. More of a chant, I guess. With little hand gestures. Marco continued, totally ignoring me. It went like this. Marco began talking in a rhythmic sing-song. Five little monkeys jumping on the bed. One fell off and broke his head. Mama called the doctor and the doctor said... I chanted the last line with Marco. No more monkeys jumping on the bed. Yeah, yeah, can we move on? Lana would start again, except with four little monkeys jumping on the bed. Marco said. I circled around in front of him and walked backward so I could look at him while I talked. I remember it. Now, do you want to play jump rope, or do you want to hear my plan? We're the five little monkeys, Marco said, staring me in the eye. Well, six. Three of us already fell off the bed. Now there are only three of us left. Monkey Cassie, Monkey Tobias, and Monkey Marco. He gave a few half-hearted oo-oo-oos and scratched himself under the arms, cartoon monkey style. You're scared, aren't you? I asked. I dropped back into step beside him. Yeah, I'm scared. Of course I'm scared. He shot back. Axe could die. And we're getting ready to go into the yerk pool with half our usual fighting force. Half! That is, unless another one of us kneels over in the next couple of hours. Which could happen. You're feeling okay so far though, right? I asked. I reached out and pressed my wrist against his forehead. Kind of warm. Kind of clammy. But we'd been walking. Marco had probably just worked up a sweat. My eyes feel kind of weird. Kind of gummy. Marco admitted. But they showed off film in health today. That could do it. I guess now that Rachel's out of it, I get to be in charge. Marco said. Yep, you're the man, I answered. So, since I'm the leader, I should hear about this plan of yours then, he said. Marco shifted his backpack to the opposite shoulder, then switched it right back. I talked to Mr. Tidwell at lunch. He told me himself he's willingly participating in the York Peace Movement. He thinks it's the most important work he could do, I explained. Marco didn't jump in with any nasty comment, so I kept talking. Ilum, Mr. Tidwell's Yerk, told me he could survive for several hours if he's in liquid. He doesn't have to be in the Yerk pool or anything. I took a deep breath. I thought I could morph him and... You want to morph a Yerk? Marco demanded. He started to make loud barfing noises. I know it's kind of desperate, but... My voice trailed off as Marco leaned into the bushes and threw up. I moved up behind him and rested my hand on his back. Finally, Marco's back stopped heaving. He straightened up 
and wiped his mouth with his sleeve. Then he turned to face me. Another monkey just fell off the bed, he said. Then, with a crooked smile, he added, Poor Cassie. I tried to smile bravely, but I wasn't feeling brave. I was feeling scared and alone. Got to think about one more thing, Marco said weakly. What? What if... What if you pull it off? Then he collapsed, and I was too busy hauling him back up to his feet to think about what he'd just said. Only later did it occur to me. Marco had seen the fatal flaw. If I succeeded, if I rescued Aftran, then what? I'd have an outlaw yerk, without a host, and, worse by far, without access to life-giving Kendrona rays. I could save Aftran, only to watch her die. Hello, Phantomorphs, and thank you for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs auditory experience. As always, this is your host, Daniel. Uh, got a couple of messages to get through today. Um, we'll start with, sorry if I sound a little down, uh, low energy. Uh, it's been a rough week at work. Um, the... <laughs> My new manager and also the guy who's taking my job um, is kind of a dickhead. And if you are sitting there thinking, that seems like a weird vibe to be working in. It is. Um, so it's been it's been a weird couple of weeks and it's going to be a weird next month. But uh, not not important. <laughs> uh, we've got a couple messages. We'll start off with um, our new platinum member. Uh, donated to keep this show afloat, Sterling. Sterling uh, very uh, very graciously donated some money and uh, attached the note. Keep up the fight, Brother Daniel. Thank you so much, Sterling. Uh, really appreciate it. If you'd like to uh, donate to my server fees, that can be... My PayPal is um, on my website. That's theapocalypse.com. Theapocalypse, like apocalypse with a D in the middle. Um, that is not a requirement for listening to this. Um, I can comfortably afford the server fees, at least for now. Um, but, um, I do appreciate it, and that money does go to keeping, uh, this show hosted. I spend $100 to put it on Podbean, and then I spend $100, um, hosting a website, because, um, you know, I didn't need the website. I'm totally honest, I didn't. That was a whim, but... I enjoy having it. Um, second, I have a message uh, through the Gmail. That's audiomorphscast.gmail. Nope. That's audiomorphscast.gmail.com. Uh, this might actually be the same person. Uh, I'm not sure. If it is, thank you. If not, that's a weird coincidence. But uh, it reads, My name is Sterling. I can't tell you my last as much as I'd like to. Hell, I can't even tell you where in the country I live. We have to disguise our identity. It's necessary to stay alive. The controllers could be anyone. They are everywhere, and the fate of the very human race is at stake. I have, re I have recently started receiving your transmission via Spotify. It heartens the heart to hear of your cell of audiomorphs. It's been well over two decades since I first picked up the fight against the Yerks. Your work has reminded me of the importance of our mission. I've just, uh, I've just completed your third season, so I'm far behind but I'm excited to catch up in the future. Thank you, Daniel, for all, I, 
Thank you, Daniel, for all that you do. Again, my name is Sterling, and I believe the Andalites are coming. Until then, I fight. Thanks so much, Sterling. I uh, appreciate appreciate the message. Keep up the fight, brother. Um, <laughs> you'll you'll hear this in you know another couple of months, probably. Uh, I don't know the rate you're going at, but um, welcome back to the the fold of Animorphs. It's a uh, it's a bit trippy coming back to these books, but it's a good time. Trust. Uh, so thank you once again, Sterling. And we have one more message um, over at Tumblr. That's audiomorphscast.tumblr.com. And this is, of course, our friend Willis the Arths, who writes in saying, I'm excited for the Mirror Universe Megamorph. Sounds like a blast. Uh, and then regarding this book, I'm no plumbing expert, but I don't think this is how pipes work. 10 out of 10, signed Willis the Arths. You know, Willis, uh, pipes and how they function are maybe like, one of my biggest blind spots uh, for, like, how things work. I truly don't really understand um, liquid dynamics and and how, like, water pressure, <laughs> more than, like, a very, very, very basic idea. And plumbing, beyond me. I, I simply didn't, don't know. I had no way of telling one way or the other how true this book was. I was like, eh, I could buy it. So I did what uh, a responsible person should do. I did some research. <laughs> so I have in front of me now an article from... Uh, HowStuffWorks.com, called How Water Towers Work, written by Marshall Bryan. Um, And so, essentially, I think what Kay Alvigate has described does work. It says here, uh, Water tower is an incredibly simple device. Although water towers come in all shapes and sizes, they all do the same thing. A water tower is simply a large, elevated tank of water. For example, take the water tower... Oh, that's then a photo of a water tower. Water towers are told to provide pressure. Each foot of height provides 0.43 psi of pressure. Um, da, da, da. So they're usually tall or on high ground. Um, a water tower's tank is normally quite large. A normal in-ground swimming pool in someone's backyard might hold something like 20,000 to 30,000 gallons. That's a lot of water. And a typical water tower might hold 50 times that amount. Uh, typically, a water tower's tank is sized to hold a day's worth of water for the community served by the tower. Uh, so then, of course, it's how does a water tower actually function? They even have a diagram here. I won't post this, sorry, um, but I will describe it to you. So water comes from your reservoir. That's usually a lake or some sort of body of water, right? Uh, it goes to the processing plant where it is treated to remove all the stuff, you don't, you know, bacteria and such, silt, sediment. Uh, and then there is a uh, large pump that begins sending it down the main pipes or the feeder pipes um, that then branch out into the water main system, right? Um, But right at the feeder pipe is where water towers are installed. And so basically when there is an excess amount of pressure from the pump because water use is low, that water then looks for an outlet and goes up into the water tower and fills the water tower. And then when uh, water demand is high, higher than the amount of water the pump can produce, it pulls and then gravity pushes down the water from the tower to supplement the power of the pump to that, so that the water pressure is uh, maintained Um in the in the case of a high demand situation, or if the if the water pump has somehow broken down, the water tower will then keep water pressure uh, for a day, typically based on the size. Uh, so in theory, um, I guess because you know what, 
there's a fire going on, isn't there? The the firefighters that come out of the hose. So I guess when they uh, entered the water tower, I guess there was a higher demand of water and that created the suction that allowed them to get out. Uh, uh, but normally, I don't think it would work. I think you're right. They'd be stuck because uh, there's, there's no um, vacuum being created to, to release the water pressure in the tower. But uh, hey, got they got us. Uh, there was a fire, so I think that passes the cinema sins or whatever. There's no ding here. Um, thank you so much for writing in, Willis. Thank you, uh, everyone who wrote in. Thank you again, Sterling, for donating. Um, thank you all for listening. I've mentioned all the ways I think you can contact me. Once again, that's my uh, website, theapodcalypse.com. That's uh, the Tumblr, audiomorphscast.tumblr.com. That's the Gmail, audiomorphscast.gmail.com. Um, you can also tweet at me at Audiomorphs, and that's where you should look if I'm ever late posting. I'll have a reason up there, unless um, something truly terrible has happened. <laughs> um, other than that, uh, we're getting into this book now, so uh, let's let's keep on going, and uh, I'll see you all next week. My name is Daniel, and I believe one day the Andalites will come. Until then, we fight. <laughs>